Kia ora and welcome to Beyond Consultation, a podcast that will help you in your public or community sector work to increase your impact by doing more than just ticking the box of consultation. I'm Paul McGregor from Business Lab, and we're interested in the mindsets and methods of people who are making a bigger impact by working collaboratively with communities, industries, and other organizations. Ma mihi mote Kia ora and welcome to episode 26. Now, two things happened in my life today which have led me towards the subject of today's episode. Firstly, I had a great guest lined up and we were in the midst of recording, I was introducing them to you and then they said, sorry, Paul, I'm not up for this. Things aren't flowing and honestly, my head is elsewhere. And I have to say, I had a lot of respect for them in that moment, that they could just be honest like that and say, yeah, nah, this isn't working for me right now. So that was one thing that happened. And then the other thing was earlier this morning, I was reading this fantastic report called Wellbeing Inspires Well-Doing. And it's this research report from a couple of years ago looking at how change makers' inner well-being influences their work. The authors of the research interviewed really deeply 50 people from around the world, 50 change makers. And one of the things they found was 75% of them said that my inner well-being is really important for me to be able to do good work. Yet only 25% of them were actually prioritizing their own well-being in their workdays. So everybody is saying, oh yeah, it's really important to look after yourself, but hardly anybody is actually doing that. So yeah, those two things happened in my day, and it just made me realize how important the stuff is, looking after your own inner well-being so that you can serve others. It's the classic situation, you're on the airline, and the air host or hostess says, If the oxygen mask pops down, make sure you put your own one on before you start helping other people. And I think for a lot of us involved in work where we're really passionate about the community that we're serving, it can be really easy to put other people's needs ahead of our own. And as much as we might understand the theory of looking after ourselves, the practicality of actually doing that, actually finding time for that can be really hard. So if that sounds like something you can relate to, today's episode is for you. A few years ago, I was working for Lifehack HQ, which was a systems level intervention in youth mental health and well-being. That's a little bit of a mouthful. What it actually means was we were looking at what are all of the enablers and the barriers to young people living good lives and how can we address some of those. Often it meant we weren't working directly with young people. We were working often alongside adults to try and shift some of the systems that were preventing young people from doing things that would help them or preventing adults from being able to help young people in a way that actually suited young people. We're increasing capacity, building capability, introducing new tools, new methods, and influencing some of the people who had resources. One of the tools that we found really helpful for ourselves, but also for 
organizations, adults, young people that we were working with was a well-being plan. And it's really simple. It is a piece of paper that sets out what are the things that I need to be happy, healthy at work? What do I look like when I'm in a really good space? What are the things that trigger me and send me off into a not-so-good space? And how can I help myself and how can others help me when I might be heading down that path? And the science behind this is simple. You might hear people talking in the health sector about protective factors. These are the things that you can put in place to protect you from bad stuff happening, basically. In the show notes for today's episode, I'll provide a couple of links to some well-being plan templates. And this is something you can use individually, or you might even want to do it with your team. You don't necessarily need to share all of the results with your teammates, but doing it as a group can mean that you've all got a shared understanding about what are some of the things that each other needs to have well-being at work. To give you an idea of the kind of things that are in my well-being plan, I'm going to share with you six things that I have found really helpful. These are six things that help me to navigate the complex reality of the real world because for me that's one of the things I find hardest and the kind of work we're doing we're trying to transform how an organization works with a community and there's so many different factors at play one thing that was true last week is no longer true this week people are always changing the nature of the problem is always morphing and I can find that sometimes quite overwhelming because it feels like there's always more work to do And it can feel like you're always a couple of steps behind this ever-changing beast of a problem that you might be working on. These six things that I'm going to share with you, they're not necessarily the answer for you. These are six things that I've found helpful, which might provide some different ideas of what you may want to include in your own well-being plan. If you're the sort of person who would prefer to read this, we've also got an article coming out on our website, and I'll include the link in the show notes. So the first one I'll talk about, and this was a huge help for me figuring out what I was going to do for today's podcast, actually. After the guest tapped out, I was going, oh no, we've got a deadline for the podcast. It's due tomorrow. What am I going to do? So I went outside and we're at home. We're in lockdown at the moment. So I started weeding in the garden and just getting out of the office, connecting with nature moving my body in a different way, suddenly the idea for today's show popped into my head and started to make sense. And that didn't take very long. I was out there for, I don't know, one, two, three minutes maybe, and all of a sudden things started to make sense in my own mind. So there's some really good scientific reasons for why this happens, right? You get out into nature, your body starts to relieve and release endorphins which lower stress they boost cognitive function put simply you think better once you move your body so that is the first thing that i find really helpful is get out of the building go for a walk or do some exercise we often do this as a team you know we'll be we would have been in the thick of work on our computers calling people whatever in zoom meetings all morning and we'll look at each other and go do you need a walk yeah 
and will wander around the block one, two, three, four times sometimes and talk things out. And by doing that, we make sense of things that were in our heads that we didn't even really know were challenging us. You may have heard people talking about the challenge of working in the grey. And what that means is when you're working on a really complex challenge, it can feel like you're in this fog and things just don't make sense. If that sounds like the kind of work you're involved in, then something that might be really helpful is to draw it out. Often our brains remember visual models really well. And so when you're working on something where it's just kind of not clear how things connect or what the bigger system is at play, by getting the ideas out of your head onto a piece of paper, onto a whiteboard and drawing it, making it visual, showing the connections or the disconnections between different things, suddenly you can start to make sense of things in a way that you never could if it was just stuck in your head. This is hard because we often get taught during school that doodling, drawing things is not valuable. The message we get sent is, oh, well, look, the best way to get through a problem is to do some robust analysis, to write about it, and then find the answer in the back of the book. But when you're working on something where there is no answer in the back of the book, drawing out the system, drawing out the challenge that you're facing can help you to see patterns that you might not have otherwise realized were there. If this sounds kind of intimidating to you and you're going, ugh, I'm not a very good drawer, um, you know, things that can help you is to use a, an existing visual model and then put your own ideas and thoughts over the top of that. So, right, if you're trying to make sense of a system, you might go, okay, well, I'm going to use the iceberg model of systems thinking. So you go and you Google that, you understand what the model is, then you draw that up on a whiteboard and then you can just use post-its or you, know, you could just draw next to it to try and make sense in that way. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from the English mathematician George Box who says, every mental model is wrong and some are useful. So what that means is you're never going to get this thing looking perfect, and that's not the idea. The idea is to help you to make sense of something. And if it's useful, fantastic. Take that, move forward with that. So that's my second suggestion. We've got get out of the office, move your body. We've got draw it out. A third one, quite similar to the second one, and this might depend on what your personal preference is, is to write about the challenges that you're facing. And you'll hear a lot of people swearing by the power of daily journaling. This doesn't have to be something that you do every day. But what I've done is I carve out Friday mornings for myself to write. And sometimes the stuff I write, I look back on a week later and it's absolute rubbish. But the act of writing it out is very cathartic. And it helps me to realize what I'm learning about a situation and helps me to make sense of my thoughts. So personally, I find that really helpful to deliberately carve out that time in my week. And I know that my teammates often find that really helpful too, because we're working on something hard together. And then I'll come to the next meeting and I'll go, oh, well, I've written about this. Does this make sense? Does this help us out? And often they've been grappling with the same questions or the same challenges that I have. And by me writing it out, it has helped all of us to make some progress on that.
The fourth one I'll share with you, and this might sound a little bit airy-fairy to you, and it certainly did to me, <laughs> uh, it's something I've been working on a lot over the last year, is to identify what is going on in my own body when I am stressed or overwhelmed. So there's this huge body of scientific work that is starting to give some scientific evidence to what a lot of people have always known for centuries, that there's a really strong connection between our minds and our bodies. So when we are stressed, worried, overwhelmed by things at work, uh, it's not just our brain that is struggling, it's actually our bodies. And so that stress will show up somewhere in our bodies. It might be a tight stomach, it might be sore shoulders, your, it might be your heart rate going faster than normal, whatever. It shows up in different places for different people. So once you start to know what that means, so if I've got a really tight chest, actually that's a signal that I'm stressed, okay, I need to take notice of that and therefore behave differently. So once you get to that point where the signals in your body are useful information for you to then change your behavior, that can be really powerful. But it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time to be able to go from I'm just running around, absolutely frantic, doing all of the things, being everybody to everybody, to, oh, I've noticed that my body is feeling really stressed at the moment. I'm going to need to pause and do something for myself before I can serve others. So we could probably unpack that for an entire season of podcast episodes. Someone who's been helping me to explore this is... Uh, Tui Williams. I'll share the link to her website in today's show notes. She is, well, I'd call her a well-being coach. She's probably got other names for what she is, but she's been helping me to understand what are the thoughts and the feelings that are going on when I'm stressed and how can I respond to those. And that work with her has been really powerful and really helpful for me. So if that sounds like something where you're going, hmm, I'm a little bit skeptical, but I'm also interested in learning more, go check out her website. Okay, we've got two more. Number five is to set some learning experiments for yourself. And what I mean by this, well, maybe to explain this, let's have a look at how most people evaluate success of things. So most evaluation methods say, okay, what are the desired outcomes that you've got? All right, so you want A, B, and C. Well, now you need to do everything possible to make A, B, and C happen. And if A, B, and C don't happen, you have failed. This program has failed. Your organization has failed. So it leads you very much down this path of control. We need to control everything in order to reach those desired outcomes. Now, that's okay when you're working on a simple problem where you have control over all the variables. But in real life, you don't. So if you're trying to reach outcome A, but actually you don't have control over 90% of the factors that influence outcome A, then forcing yourself to judge your success on whether A happens or not, you're setting yourself up for a really difficult situation there. So instead, you can approach things from more of a mindset of experimentation, curiosity, learning experiments. So you say, our hypothesis is that if we do A, 
thing B will happen. But we don't know that for sure. So now we're going to take notice, we're going to learn, and then after a period of time, we're going to come back and review and see what has happened, whether that hypothesis was true or not. And so this sends you down a completely different path, right? It sends you down a path of noticing, of taking action, learning, reviewing, taking action again, learning, reviewing. And it sends you down that sort of path of curiosity, of experimentation, rather than a path of controlling. And that can unlock all sorts of outcomes that you might not have ever anticipated being possible. And my final thing for you to think about, number six, is to take refuge in other people's experiences. And what I mean by this, well, it might mean reading a book or listening to a podcast, reading a blog post, speaking to a teammate or a colleague who's got more experience on something. So when I'm finding a situation really hard, if I go to somebody who's got some expertise, I pick their brain, they ask me some hard coaching questions, suddenly the challenge that I'm working on doesn't seem so insurmountable. That gives me a sense of calmness and lightness about whatever it is that I'm facing. And it's one of the reasons why I keep doing these podcasts, actually, because the odd person gets in touch with me and says things like, Paul, episode 20 with Becky Hurst, I listened to that on the train home after a really average day at work, and that has given me the motivation to keep going. Like I was going to quit my job, and that has convinced me that ah, this is the work I should be doing, and to stick at it with a little bit more lightness and curiosity. So there we go. Those are six things that influence my well-being plans. Let's just do a quick recap. Get outside. Get myself active. Uh, draw it out write about it. Learn to identify the impact of stress on my own body. Set some learning experiments. Set some learning experiments. And lastly, but not least, seek refuge in other people's experiments. Seek refuge in other people's experiences. If, when I shared at the start of this episode about the 75% and the 25%, and you went, yeah, I'm one of those people. I tell everyone else how important it is to look after yourself, but I'm not doing it for myself. I would encourage you to create some space in your own work week to do a bit of work on this stuff and share that with your team as well. So yeah, you can do it alone. You could squeeze it in after work. But if you take a leadership role and say, hey, everyone, I need to work on my own well-being plan. Here's what I'm doing. I'm going to share that with the rest of you in case any of you need to work on it as well. Then that helps to create an environment where other people can better understand what is going on for you and then be a better support person for you if you are in one of those stressed or overwhelmed times. All right, go well, look after yourself. Kakite ano matewa. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beyond Consultation podcast. What did you learn from the show? What should we have talked about? Who else should I interview? I would love to hear your feedback. And if you want to learn more about what you heard today, everything from the show is at www.businesslab.co.nz slash podcast. 
If this episode has left you with a burning question, please feel free to submit a voice message through the link on our podcast page. We can then ask that question of a guest in a future episode. Or tag me in a post on LinkedIn or Facebook and I can point you in the right direction. If you want to know when we release new episodes, make it easier for yourself and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Again, thank you for listening. Nga mihi mo te whakarongo.